My name is Alex Rosa, and I'm our family life pastor here at New Life. Today we are in part two of our series called Jesus Defining Moments. But before we get into that, I just want to welcome you to service with us today. This is your very first time here. Thank you so much for investing some of your morning with us today. Our main focus today, what we're talking about, is truth and lies. Talk about how our society, us as people, we crave the truth. We want to know the truth. We were designed to dwell in the truth and in reality. Jesus came so that we could see and know the truth. And although that is true, our world sometimes believes that there is no such thing as truth. And it's become harder and harder to identify the truth between the lies. And there is a very real war going on between lies and truth in the spiritual realm on this earth. And this is something I first experienced about 20 years ago when I first trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I was on a retreat, and I remember it distinctly for three reasons. One, because, did I have three? I, I looked down, I thought maybe I had four. Three reasons. Uh, the first one is I was wearing all weekend long the SpongeBob SquarePants shirt. It had plankton on it from SpongeBob. Maybe you don't know that show. I don't know. It's probably fine if you don't. Um, but I just remember liking the plankton shirt and wore it all weekend long. The second reason I remember that weekend is because there was this girl that I liked that wanted some gum and I didn't have any gum, but my best friend did in his uh, like suitcase. And so I went and stole it from him and gave it to her and he got real mad at me but totally worth it. And the third reason, well, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the third reason, the best reason, the biggest reason is it was finally the moment when I gave my life over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I had heard about him. We can clap for that because it's amazing anytime someone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior because for me, I had known about him. I had even, as Joe and Jess were talking about, I went to VBS when I was little, but I had never made that decision to give my life over to Jesus until high school. And when I did, I'm telling you, like there was this feeling like no other. Like I finally was able to see and experience life as it was meant to be lived. There was these chains on me that felt broken. And I lived in that excitement every single day for months. I was just in that truth and experiencing the truth of Jesus. Eventually, I had heard that you're supposed to go and pray and speak to God every day, which is great. So I started to do that. And that is where I actually started to understand that there is a war going on between truth, which I believed in with Jesus, and the lies that were out there. Because during this time of prayer, I don't know how else to describe it, but I, I felt attacked. I felt like there was this fight going on that I kept feeling and hearing the, these whispers of lies about God, about myself, whether it was self-deprecating thoughts or it was doubts. And as I tried to combat that with my own understanding as a 15-year-old, I just didn't have the tools, the equipment to use to, to fight against those lies. So eventually, after I warred with, man, I feel like just an awful Christian, and maybe I'm the only one ever going through this, I finally went to my youth pastor, uh, Jamie Kendrew. And as we started to talk about it, he helped me understand that there was a very real spiritual battle going on on this planet. It's all throughout God's word. The apostle Paul talked about it once to the church in Ephesus, and he said it this way. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in a time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm. 
Last night, as the storm was going on outside, I read that, and that was the point where like a bunch of thunder hit, and it felt like really ominous. Like there's this, this enemy attacking spiritual realm, just boom, boom, boom. So it made it feel like it was very real. But the truth is, it is very real. Sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we can't see it. But there is an enemy out there that wants to bring about our destruction. The enemy referenced right there is called the devil. There's other names for him, Satan or the serpent. He was once an angel of heaven and and cast down after he tried to revolt and take over as the the leader. It didn't work. God cast him down, defeated him. And and on this earth, he's been called the father of lies. And specifically, he was called that by Jesus. And Jesus, while he was on this earth, wanted us to know that Satan wasn't just this made-up boogeyman to scare people, that he really is the enemy of God. Jesus talked about him a few different times, but the one time where he called him the father of lies, he was talking to religious leaders, and they were talking about some kind of nonsense, and Jesus wanted to let them know that while they were talking lies, they were actually acting like their father, the devil. He said this in John 8, 44, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus talked more about Satan on, while he was on this earth, and he did so to let us know that he's real and that he's also an enemy that we must be ready for. But Jesus also came to defeat him and wanted us to know that the enemy that he was about to topple the enemy's plans, that he had come to, to save us from that enemy. There's this book called Live No Lies. It was written by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland, and he wrote this book, and it's all about the enemies and the enemy's schemes. And in it, he summarizes all of Jesus' teachings about the devil. And he said this, there are three implications of Jesus' teaching on the devil. One, he is a real and material but intelligent being. Two, his end goal is to spread ruin in our souls and society. And three, his primary means is lies. So it's important to note that he's real, but he's also not this like little funny guy on our shoulder with like a pitchfork and a red outfit that's trying to whisper in our ear to tell us to do some kind of not good stuff, but he is a real powerful being. It's also important for us to know that he's not God's equal. It's not like God is the most powerful being in the universe and Satan is just the same thing, but evil. No, he the devil, was created by God, and he is not all places at all times. He doesn't have all knowledge. In fact, sometimes we actually give more credit to Satan than he's due. Sometimes we might go to bed too late, wake up too late, skip our coffee, rush on our way to church, and at some point say something we shouldn't have said to our wives, and in doing so, get ourselves in trouble. And in that moment, we might blame Satan, like, oh man, I'm just under a spiritual attack. That's what's happening. We're in, instead, it's just kind of our stupidity. Because as people, we are good enough on our own to make up our own evil. So sometimes we give credit where it's not due. Sometimes we just make mistakes. But that's not to take away from the fact that there is a very real enemy and there are real spiritual attacks on this planet. And so I was experiencing that in high school. I was going to my youth pastor. I wanted to know what to do. And he said, during those times, one of the best things we can do is call upon the name of Jesus. Because in the name of Jesus, there is power. In the name of Jesus, Satan and demons, they flee. Again, because we're calling on the one who created everything the God of the universe. And so he told me that in those moments where I'm feeling attacked, to simply audibly, out loud, call upon Jesus by saying, in the name of Jesus, Satan and the powers of evil be gone from me. 
And so daily, I would say that when I felt those attacks, and it helped, because I could know in those moments that Jesus was there with me. And I tell you, I still use this to this day, calling on Jesus out loud. I did it this morning when I felt those same self-deprecating thoughts where I felt like the enemy was trying to dissuade me from teaching on the subject of God and truth and against Satan. Calling on the name of Jesus brings about power. Why? Because Jesus came to deliver us because all power belongs to him. And so as we go into this defining moment of Jesus' life, we're going to see a time where he defeated Satan. Because he did defeat Satan on the cross once and for all. With the cross and rising from the dead, he defeated Satan and sin and death's power on our lives. But before that, he went into the wilderness and he did battle with the enemy. Right after he was baptized, which is what Pastor Chris talked about last week, he went into the desert. And now we have some pictures back here. Um, we did this purposely to show you kind of some of the areas where Jesus was. And the one on the left is the Jordan River, where Jesus really was baptized. We took that when we were in Israel, and then Aaron did a nice job, put them together and put a cool filter on them. In the middle is Wilderness of Zin. Was this the wilderness that Jesus was in during this time? Who knows? Uh, like Israel has a whole bunch of wilderness. Uh, there's a bunch of desert everywhere. But it is one area that he might have been in. And then on the right, we'll get to last week. Or I guess that would have been, maybe, yeah, that is your right, my left. And so as we go in to read about Jesus in the wilderness, let's know that this was a real event that took place on this earth. And during it, Jesus gained a big victory over the enemy. So Matthew 4 tells us a story, and it's chapter, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But we're just going to start right now with verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. I'm going to stop there because I'd like to point out that God, which there's some translations that say the Spirit of God was the one leading Jesus. And this is true. God led Jesus into the wilderness, and there he was tempted. It's important for us to know that God led him, but he did not do the tempting. God directed Jesus out there and he knew that tempting was gonna happen, but he is never the one to tempt us. It's important to know that because sometimes we are worried about why temptations happen and maybe God's doing something against us, but no, that's not true. But there are times where he allows it to happen. And I know that that seems maybe counterintuitive to our life in Jesus, but he does it to help us to be strengthened, to help us to gain victories. Jesus' brother James said it this way in James 1, 2 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When our faith is tested, it has a chance to grow. And so God at times allows temptation to happen. St. Augustine, who was a Christian theologian, talked about temptation and the battles we face in this world. In 418 AD, he said this, During this earthly pilgrimage, our life cannot be free from temptation, for none of us comes to know ourselves except through the experience of temptation. Nor can we be crowned until we have come through victorious, nor be victorious until we have been in battle, nor fight our battles unless we have an enemy and temptations to overcome." So why are temptations allowed to happen in our lives? Because they strengthen us and help us to refocus our lives upon God. And we can know that there is victory in Jesus. So if God is watching over us and he knows that we're going to be tempted, he is going to bring about the victory when we rely on him. It's also important for us to know that he's not going to allow a temptation to come that we can't escape or endure. 
The Apostle Paul said this to the church in Corinth, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So God will help us. God will give us a way to escape or endure. It's kind of like a parent that is helping their kid walk. We have two boys and we've helped them both learn how to walk. And at first, whenever you get them up and they're all wobbly, you kind of take a couple steps away and and you wait for them to come to you. But you know as a parent that they're going to fall. That they're going to, as they walk, they're going to trip up and they're going to fall. But through that, they're going to get strengthened and they're going to be able to walk and eventually they're going to be able to run. But as parents, we don't put them in situations where if they fall, they fall like off a ledge. Or if they fall, we're not walking like, hey, let's learn how to walk on the, the top of a volcano. We're doing it on a carpet somewhere where dad can catch them in case they fall so that they don't get hurt. God's doing the same thing with us. There is temptations. He knows that they're going to come, but he's making sure to be there right with us. And so we can call upon his name. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the enemy, but God is right there and he knows what's about to happen. Matthew 4 continues this way. For 40 days and 40 nights, he, meaning Jesus, fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, let tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Satan was tempting Jesus to take his eyes off of God. Jesus was investing his time with his heavenly father. He was fasting. He was in silence. He was in solitude. He was in prayer. He was getting ready for his his ministry on this earth. And while he was doing that, Satan was trying to get Jesus to stop focusing on God and focus on himself, on his knees. He's saying, Jesus, you got all this power. You're the son of God. Why don't you just use that power for yourself? You see, Jesus came to serve us and to use his power to redeem us from sin and death. But Satan's saying, why don't you just use your power a little bit right now because you're hungry. Why don't you stop being hungry? And in this, we learn three things. The first thing is that Satan knows that Jesus is the son of God. He's acknowledging his power through these temptations because he's asking him to do supernatural things. Like I fasted before. And while I've been really hungry, I've never felt the temptation to take a water bottle and turn it into a bunch of tacos. That's never been on my mind. I've never felt like, oh man, I should break away from focusing on Jesus just to make some lollipops show up. It just doesn't happen because I'm not able to do that, but Jesus can. So Satan's acknowledging Jesus' power. The second thing that we know is that Jesus was prepared for these temptations. How was he prepared? He was fasting and in silence and in solitude and in prayer. He was investing this time with God. He was ready for when the temptations came. And the third thing we know is that Jesus used God's word, his holy scriptures, to refute the lies of the devil because God's word is always truth. So he actually takes Deuteronomy 8.3, which says man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He uses that directly against Satan's lies and in doing so gains a victory. And this and especially Matthew 4, 1 through 4, is where we get our take-home point for today. The one point that this message is all about that, that we can learn from and apply it to our lives and live it out as we face similar attacks from the enemy. Take-home point is this. Jesus fought the devil by investing time in silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, and scripture. 
Jesus did these disciplines and so can we. So we can call upon the name of Jesus and we can prepare ourselves the same way. So Jesus defeated Satan with that first temptation, but Satan as always is consistent in the fact that he's gonna keep coming even when he loses. So he keeps coming back to Jesus. And in Matthew 4, 5 through 11, it says this. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Every temptation that Satan brought up against Jesus was trying to take him away from the journey that he was on to follow God. He kept trying to give him little bits of truth that was wrapped in a lie and trying to get Jesus to turn his focus away from God. But every single time, Jesus used the truth. This is why it's so important for us to understand that there is truth in this world and we can know it. Pastor Chris last week said that truth is both objective, which means it can be proven, and also it's personal, meaning that it comes in the person of Jesus. John Mark Comer in his book gave us another couple helpful definitions to know what truth is. He said, truth is simply reality. He said also that lies are unreality and ideas are assumptions about reality. So truth is really just the reality that we dwell in. Now, we can hear this and say, all right, well, the enemy and his schemes are lies. What big, well, what big deal is that? Like, our lies or ideas, can they really damage people or societies or our souls? And to answer that question, we just have to look at history. We don't even have to go that far back. You look at Germany. You look at Germany pre-World War II, pre-the Nazi regime, and you know that Germany was at the apex of society and any metric you want to look at, they were near the top with art or architecture or technology, even theology. Martin Luther was born in Germany. The Reformation happened in Germany. They were leading in the world. They were ahead of America at that time. What happened? A lie seeped into their culture. A lie saying that Jewish people weren't worth the same as other people. And these ideas, these assumptions about reality, which were based on lies about unreality, distorted a nation, which caused chaos in the world. And there's people still all over the world right now that are still dealing with the fallout from these lies. So we can look at it and say, the devil using lies is an effective means to destroy souls and society. But thankfully, the reality that we have is found in Jesus and he came so that we would know the truth. So we can't get caught up in this idea of your truth is fine, my truth is good, whatever you wanna believe is fine because ultimately it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what is true. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what we believe if it's not true. So we must seek after the truth. This is why I love Christianity. I love Christianity because we don't have a blind faith. We have a faith that is built on facts and truth and reason. Christianity is the only religion that is based on historical facts. Well, Christianity and Judaism, because Judaism, of course, goes into Christianity. But we have, in God's word, people, places, dates, 
historical things that have been proven and held up by archaeology, by historians as well. Look at science, and the more that science progresses, the more it points to God being true. There's a recent scientist that even said that all of our findings continue to point to the most rational explanation of the universe being the Christian God. It wasn't a Christian that said that. Archaeology still to this day continues to find things that support God's word. Everything in the book of Acts, where there's a ton of people, places, dates, all of that has been completely proven 100% by archaeology. Recently, even, there was this finding, and it was one of the greatest findings that they've ever had. They found a tablet that was written by Joshua a long time ago that had the word El and the word Yahweh, both names for God. And this is a humongous deal because historians, archaeologists have never found God. The word God, which is El, and Yahweh, the Jewish name for our God in the same tablet at the same time. They had them in different ones. But for some reason, that was just kind of like a sticking point for archaeologists, which kind of seems weird to me. It's not like every time someone addresses me, they're like, hi, Alex, you're a man. Um, but they wanted to see like Yahweh and God, but they found it. So then it kind of put this, uh, this focus on Christianity because this is something that was deemed true and actually happened. So we look at it and we can see through the Christian faith that it is based on reality. And as we get to know God more, we know that he came so that we could see and understand and know the truth, that we wouldn't walk around in darkness. Jesus said this in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. There's this analogy that people use about religions on this world. They say, well, we're all kind of like blind people around an elephant. We're all touching the elephant at different points, maybe the trunk or the ear, or the tail or whatever. And we don't exactly see what is true, but we all see the, the same, or we all feel the same elephant. And Jesus is saying, I came so you will see, so you will know what is true. Also a lie that society says that all religions point to the same heaven, get to the same conclusion. But Jesus simply said that that isn't reality. He said this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, meaning reality, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He said he is the only way to salvation. He made it very clear so that we would know how we were made and created to exist on this planet. And even though this is true, and Jesus is true and the reality, there is this lie that Satan puts out there in the world that many have believed in that says something like, well, I believe Jesus is true, but who am I to tell someone else that he is true? Who am I to tell someone else that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life? But as we look at other schools of knowledge, and this is knowledge that we're talking about, it wouldn't make sense to apply that same thinking. Imagine if someone would say, well, who am I to tell someone that two plus two equals four? Who am I to tell someone that if you push them in water, they get wet? Who am I to tell someone not to run out in the middle of traffic because they might die? Who am I to tell them that smoking is bad for your health? If we apply that same rationale to other forms of knowledge, people look at us funny. But we do that with Christianity, but we got to stop that because Jesus is the truth. And he came so that we would know and understand and experience the truth so that we could live in it and share it with other people. In John 8, 31 through 32, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, not just think about it or have an opinion about it, but you'll know it. 
when the disciples and the apostles wrote much of the New Testament, they weren't talking just about their, their feelings or their opinions. They were teaching us how to live to interact with reality, how we were designed to live and what the truth is that we were supposed to be in. So this is another reason why we must understand that it's not about how we feel. And sometimes our feelings can even lie to us. It's about what is real. And so the thinkings that are out there, stuff like you do you or whatever makes you happy, or even the phrase the heart wants what it wants don't apply when we talk about truth. Recently, I learned that that phrase, the heart wants what it wants, was originally said by Woody Allen. Woody Allen was this director, and he was in an interview, and the interviewer was actually trying to get him to feel some remorse for something that was in the news. And it had come out in the news that Woody Allen was dating a girl for a long time, and this woman had a daughter that was about 30 years younger than Woody Allen, and it came out as a big scandal that Woody Allen was, while he was seeing this girl, sleeping with uh, her daughter as well. And through this, this interviewer tried to challenge him. Why would you think that that was an okay thing? And his response was, the heart wants what it wants. And it's become this rallying cry that people attach themselves to and say, yeah, that feels like it's probably true. But just because it feels true doesn't mean that it is true. So we must not be tricked by the enemy. We must look at it and say, what is the truth? And the truth is ultimately found in Jesus. John Mark Comer in that book does a great job of summarizing Satan's plans and his schemes against us in the world. He, he summarizes it this way. The devil's goal is first to isolate us, then implant in our minds deceitful ideas, that play to our disordered desires, which we feel comfortable with because they are normalized by the status quo of our society. Specifically, he lies about who God is, who we are, and what the good life is, with an aim to undermine our truth in God's love and wisdom. His intent is to get us to seize autonomy from God and redefine good and evil for ourselves, thereby leading to the ruin of our souls and society." So we must ask ourselves, because of devil's schemes and his plans, what lies are Satan, what, what lies is Satan telling us? What lies do we believe in? What lies have our society accepted as truth? Maybe we can't even answer them ourselves, so what we must do is go to God and, and invest time with the God of all truth by prayer, by fasting, by solitude, by silence, going to the God of the truth and saying, please let me know what is truth by investing time reading in the word. This is another reason why our days should start with God, speaking with him and reading in his word, because as soon as we start interacting with the world out there, there are gonna be lies that come towards us. And in order for us to be prepared, we must invest that time with God. It's like an athlete. If I was watching basketball and someone got injured and after the game they were interviewing that player and said, hey, what happened? Why'd you get injured? Like, like what happened to lead to the injury? And they, if the athlete said, well, I haven't been practicing, I stopped stretching before games and I just pulled a muscle, I'd be like, man, how dumb is that? You knew that there was something coming up. There was a competition that you were a part of. Why didn't you prepare? And the same thing is true for us. We know that there is a battle going on. It's waging all around us. And because that is true, we must be prepared. And Jesus has given us the tools to be prepared. By going to him, by calling on his name, by investing that time in silence and solitude and prayer, fasting and reading God's word. And we can do that and get prepared to fight with the truth against the lies by doing this next step. 
It says, I will call on Jesus and practice the same disciplines he did to overcome Satan's lies. And we do this because it's easy to fall into the lies of the enemy. I have this friend that I grew up with and we went to youth group together and college together and we were close for uh, a long time and I started to see his life change. And it wasn't a quick change. It wasn't like, oh, all of a sudden I'm following God and now I'm not following God. It was slow increases. And, And what happened as he drifted is he kept believing more and more lies of the enemy. One day I I, I called him out on it. We're close friends, so I was able to do that. I called him out using God's word and said, why are you doing this? Why are you believing in this? It's not part of God's word. And he responded by saying, is that really what God said? And in that moment, it frightened me because that's the same thing that Satan said to Adam and Eve to try to get them to stop focusing on God and his truth. So it's easy to fall into it. So what do we gotta do? We gotta be ready. And we gotta prepare like we're in this battle. But as we do it, let us not be discouraged because it's easy to take something like this and leave with discouragement, but let's take heart because Jesus has overcome the world, that he came to bring victory for us. He came and he did defeat Satan on the cross and he arose again, defeating the powers of sin and death. And in that, he brings about victory. And there is victory and power in the name of Jesus. So let us call upon him and live in the sight that he has for us. Let's live in the truth. Let's live in freedom that comes from the truth. If you're in here today and you aren't living in that freedom, that you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you've heard of him before, but have never trusted in him and, and turned your heart over to him. Well, today, I'd like to share with you how to do that. Here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. A meaning we start by admitting that we need him, that we're sinners, that we're fallen, that we're not perfect, that we need Jesus. We believe in him as Lord, our owner, our master, our God, and our savior, our rescuer from sin and death. And then we confess. We confess our sins to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us, and he will. And then we commit to living our life not by ourselves, but through the power of God and the Holy Spirit. So right now what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray and, and, and lead it, and I'm going to pray like I'm you. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I encourage you to pray alongside me, but make the words your own, your own heart, your own mind. Let us pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being here right now. God, I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you'll hear this prayer as we say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe Jesus, your son, came and died and rose again for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Make me whole today. Bring me into your family. Help me to know life as it was meant to live. And Holy Spirit, fill me up. We thank you, Lord. And dear God, I pray for all of us. Whatever situation we're in, whatever lies we're fighting today, God, I pray that we'll give over control to you and allow you just to to bring the truth to our minds, to our hearts. Help us to invest that time with you each and every day. We love you and we thank you for the victory. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.